0: You're listening to Special Education Matters, a regular podcast about things that matter in special education. I'm your host, Michael Boll, and I am the proud father of an 18-year-old boy with autism. Fearless without being disrespectful is Julia Barraza's motto when it comes to working as an advocate for students with special needs. Based in the East Bay of California and backed by DREDF, the Disabilities Rights Education Defense Fund, Juliet assists a wide variety of parents with a wide variety of educational issues, including those whose primary language is Spanish. We discuss her work as an advocate, her motivations for doing the work, and for some reason, baseball. Juliet Barraza, thanks so much for joining me on the program today.
1: Thank you for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here.
0: Well, it's been nice getting to know you before the program. We've talked a couple times and now we can jump right into the show and uh, we'll start off so people can know what sort of services do you provide as an advocate and what parts of California are you working?
1: So as an advocate for Dredif, I provide um, direct technical support and sometimes that's in person, sometimes that's over the phone, parents can come in with their IEPs and Um, I can help them, you know, take a look at a letter. Um, The thing I don't do is provide legal advice um, or anything like that because I'm not an attorney. But I love to attend IEP meetings, which I have um, over the last 15 years attended literally hundreds of IEP meetings. (laughs) And we provide trainings, free trainings. We provide uh, community resources and Particularly, we look for systemic issues, so when we get um, multiple phone calls from, say, a district or a school, we might isolate that mm-hmm. and bring that to the attention of our attorneys. Um, mostly, I help with communication between parents and districts, and when necessary, um, help parents file compliance complaints to the Department of Education or the Office for Civil Rights. And I specifically do all of these things as a bilingual advocate. So I I mostly serve families that are monolingual Spanish speaking, and uh, and then Dredif we have the parent training information grant to cover Alameda, Contra Costa, West Contra, excuse me, West Contra Costa, and San Joaquin counties.
0: So a very large area. Is it? Yeah, you're you're sharing that workload with others as well.
1: Actually, only three others and only two of us okay. are bilingual. So, ah.
0: um,
1: so when we attend, say, IEP meetings, it has to be for, you know, a really compelling reason. Um, we don't go just because somebody's a little nervous. You know, we go for the parents that are, um, say monolingual or have literacy issues, or there's just been mm-hmm. so many pre- procedural violations that they feel like, um, they're not being heard. So we're we're really very specific in, in that. But yeah, there's only four of us.
0: That'll <laughs> <laughs> keep you busy. So what yes. influenced your decision to be an advocate? You know, from what I understand, it's the pretty common story of why people get into advocacy as their own child.
1: Yes. So um, I was um, initially introduced to Dreddiff 15 years ago when um, our son, who's now 22, uh, he was, in a situation where the the teacher was abusing the kids. And um, my husband and I, without really knowing the process, um, immediately went to our director of special ed and said, he's not going there anymore. Well, like I suspected something was going on. Um, and so I pulled him and then um, we demanded that he be placed in a full inclusion uh, General ed kindergarten class, and mm-hmm. a, c- a couple of days later, we found out the teacher had been arrested, and it was a whole mess. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was pretty traumatic. And so he was in a general education classroom, and of course, you know, not the supports that he needed, and all of that. And then they were calling me all the time to come get him. And then one day they called me, and um, I was just kind of beside myself, and. And I was crying, getting my car keys, and then somehow I found myself in front of his car seat and i I looked at the car seat as if he were in it, and then <laughs> i you know I was like, "Oh, I'm going to do something better for you. This is so wrong and and we're going to make this right for you." And then I don't know where it came from, but the flyer to Dreddiff was um by the seat, wow. and I picked up the flyer, and I said, "That's it. I'm calling drediff <laughs> so um it-
0: and you called them for, now, DREDF Disability Rights Education and Defense Fund. I mean, you called them looking for help, not say, hey, I want a job, right?
1: Correct. That's exactly what happened. So um, two of the advocates there were just incredibly supportive and helpful. And, um, and so I told them when our whole issue got resolved, I reached out to them and said, you know, um, I'm actually bilingual. And is there any way I can volunteer? And I'm I was really sincere about it because like some people say, mm-hmm. what can I do? You know, but I, I, so I started showing up every Tuesday and I volunteered for six months. And then eventually, um, my director who's, who's still there, Susan Henderson, she, um, she, she called me in, and she said, I think, I think we're going to hire you. You just keep coming in. And I think we really need to start paying you. So and that was 15 <laughs> <Okay>. years ago. <laughs> yeah. I said, all right, that works. Um, so, so I, wh- yep.
0: Well, I mean, what keeps you, You know, you, when you have a child with special needs, you're kind of already busy. So what do you think keeps you and other people who do this going when it comes to the advocacy work?
1: I think for me, it's um, hearing stories that I have actually lived. And I I feel like I want to make that same parent feel as empowered as I did. And so it's really important to me that they um, understand the process that they can see the process as it unfolds. And, um, like I was telling you before, I, I compare it a lot to the, the game of baseball that, Mm -hmm. you know, you can, you can only go a certain path and then, um, and then there's the district's responsibilities and then there's my rights. And then we come together as a team and it's supposed to be a very collaborative process, but when a, parent calls me and tells me, um, Hey, this really worked and I'm doing this all on my own now. It's just, it's really, it's wonderful. That's why, that's why I do what I do.
0: And now you're working mostly with the Spanish speaking community, or at least partially, do you find they have a different situation than an English speaking person would have at least at the outset? Oh,
1: sure. Oh, sure. Um, there's, there's a language barrier. And so imagining everything that, you know, you and I would go through, um, to secure appropriate services for our kids, they, they go through essentially the same thing, but, um, in, in a really much more challenging way, um, because they, they rely on interpreters and, and translated documents. And so, um, but you know, I always feel like a fighter is a fighter. If a parent's mm-hmm. going to get it done, there really is no barrier. They're going to they're going to find a way to get it done. And I've met a lot of those parents. Um, one parent in particular, I met her when her daughter was a eighth grader, and uh, uh. her her mother was out front um, providing um, medical support for her, and she was in a power chair. She is in a power chair, and so I gave her a lot of information. I attended multiple IEP meetings. She got a nurse. She got an attendant. She got Mm -hmm. a a device. Um, She had to go to the hospital once a week to get in a transfusion. And we got her Skyped into her classes and she graduated. um, That was 14 years ago. Um, And fast forward, uh, she graduated at the top of her class, um, taking wow. ad, advanced French and Spanish and AP Spanish and French. And then, um, she went on to, she just graduated this last June with a degree from Cal state East Bay in, um, social justice. And oh, yeah, so <laughs> I, yeah. And so this whole time it's so funny. Cause I gave her my business card when I first met her and I said to her, if you ever need me, you just call me up. I'm here for you, and I'll you know. And she would call me. She would call me directly. This <laughs> this young girl did. So, that's the kind of things that just you know make me feel like this is really important work.
0: And you said 14 years ago, so you're talking about one of your earlier cases, then.
1: Yes, it, she was one of my first cases. Absolutely. Was
0: well, a good thing it went well. Otherwise, you might not have continued, right?
1: <laughs> Well, there's times where, um, it can be, it can be challenging, especially, um, you know, when you hear about abuse cases or, um, mm-hmm. restraint and, um, seclusion and those, those cases usually get me fired up pretty quick. And I'm the first one to say, invite me to your IEP meeting. I, I, I want to help you. What can we do? So, um, and again, it's, it's about the services coming to our kids and not a um, trying to move or find some better school somewhere, I think it's really important to, to demand that our children, as, as a civil right, be provided an appropriate education, not as a favor, but truly as the entitlement that it is.
0: Right, and that's supposed to be. So over the 15 years or so you've been doing it, um, have you seen things change? Are there different challenges that advocates face today than they did in the past?
1: Um, I think I want to say that some things have changed, um, but district staff tends to move around and we see a pattern of how one director, um, you know, handles a district and then they'll go to another district and then you start seeing kind of a pattern again. Hmm. Um, but the thing that I, I do believe has changed, I think in favor of parents is uh, social media. And so, You know, 15 years ago, of course, there wasn't Facebook and these special education groups where parents are sharing information. And more importantly, they're sharing resources and, you know, sharing with families. Call this place or, you know, call this agency or um, or try, you know, this other group. Um, So I think Mm -hmm. in that way, it's 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 um, better for parents.
0: So overall in in the long term you think it's going to get well I, you mentioned it's better for parents is it going to continue to get better you think over the next 5 plus years?
1: Well, I think it's going to get better in that um there's there's case law now that has changed um particularly um uh, the Andrew F case and um again I'm not an attorney so I can't right but, but that was a big case. Was, yeah that just came case. through yeah and I was fortunate enough to get to, um, actually speak, um, here, the attorney who represented, um, Andrew F and his family speak at a COPA conference. Oh, cool. And, um, yeah, so wow. I walked away feeling like, okay, this is a whole, this is a whole new situation. There's no more, um, you know, the, the minimum standard, of what faith is, in, and now it's more, you know, in light of my child's circumstances and what he's entitled to, and rigorous academic and rigorous golden objectives. I, I think that, um, in baseball terms, that's a game changer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it was a big deal, if I remember correctly. It went from de minimis progress to appropriately ambitious progress was the that's expectation.
1: Correct. And that's then it was correct. Supreme
0: Court, it was unanimous, I think, if I'm correct as well.
1: Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, so that's a, was, that's a big signal. It was a pretty, um pretty exciting situation. And um, yeah, so at the COpa conference, he was um playing the actual tape of the hearings. And it was pretty exciting. We were pretty exciting. We were all really um, really thrilled to to hear how how it unfolded. But um, yeah, so again, I think when parents start to hear, that they have so much power. Uh, My two favorite things to tell parents is the right to consent uh, or not consent. And in California in particular, we can consent in part. And uh, many states of course, don't have that, Um, that and the right to an independent educational evaluation um, I think are, are two of the most powerful rights that we have. And, um, and so I, I really try to give that specific type of technical information.
0: <laughs> now, Julie, I want to turn a little bit to some of the other work that you do with a di- with your current organization, sure. DREDF or Disability Rights Education and Defense Fund. Do you do other advocacy or policy work with them? And could you tell us a bit about what they do in addition to the kind of work that you and the other advocates are doing?
1: So as you know, um, DREDF, uh, was founded uh, many years ago in 1979 and is, a, of course, a leading national civil rights law and policy center um, directed by individuals with disabilities and parents who have children with disabilities. And um, to, uh, a few couple of our founding members were part of the Section 504 sit-in and um, highly encourage your listeners to watch one of our videos about uh, the 504 sit-in. And so we provide um, training and education through the parent training information center, uh, legal advocacy and public policy and legislative um, development. So I, I specifically don't do um, specific legal advocacy um, again, because I'm not an attorney, but if we as a PTI see a systemic issue somewhere um, such as in Berkeley, <laughs> then um, we we refer that to our attorneys, and then they file um, as systemic issues. And then, in terms of public policy and legislative development, um, sometimes the um, we'll get calls from different people and ask us to give input on um, on policy or development. Um, a, a couple of months ago, actually, uh, Nancy Pelosi's office invited me to her press conference where I was um, mm-hmm. gave a quick little speech about the whole um, Medi-Cal situation. So you just never know who's going to call. <laughs>
0: And do you find, you know, when, as an advocate, when you, I mean, you have been working with the districts for a while, so they probably know you pretty well, but coming from DREDF, do they, is it different because you have, I don't know, more options behind you if you aren't able to get done what you want to do?
1: I think so. I I think sometimes people think that we're going to come in and we're going to, you know, Oh, she's, you know, from dread Um But I want to feel like I'm the person that's there to make sure that the parent um, feels supported, and anybody that looks up Drediff quickly sees who what our agency is about. So I'm not mm-hmm. about to go away anytime soon. You know, it's not like I'm just <laughs> going to give them a few little resources and say, "Hey, call me sometime." Um, we're we're not that kind of agency. Like we're going to see it through, and um, and there's you know there's a reason why. Dredicus is the leading national policy um, center, um, or one of the leading policy. Our, our directing mm-hmm. attorney essentially helped write the ADA, and was standing oh, nice. next to the, yeah. And she and she was also standing next to the president when the IDA was reauthorized. So. Um, Yeah, I I think it carries a little weight. I'm not going to, I'm not going (laughs) to sugarcoat it. I like to say I work for Dreddiff. I'd love to say I work for Dreddiff.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe the districts don't like you to say that.
1: (laughs) That's probably true. (laughs) I've heard, (laughs) I've heard things said, um, but uh, like I tell parents, I, I'm, when I'm advocating for my own child, um, I'm not, I'm not here to make another friend. I'm I'm here to make sure that they know that they can count on us as a family to support them, but we also mm-hmm. expect them to do their job, and um and that's that that's always been my position whether it's for my own child or another child, it's you know every everybody is here for a reason and um and the number one reason that I got into this was to make sure that there's a better outcome for the student. But they have to say, there's not to say within, within our own family, we've had a really good working relationship and maybe that's because they know I work for dreaded maybe, maybe right. But but, I have no problem walking in with the sir on my table and, and having them explain things to us in ways that we understand. And, uh, and we, I feel like we're really gracious as a family. We, um, I always bring um, something for the team to eat while we're having uh, IEP meetings.
0: <laughs> that's clever.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there was a whole thing on a Facebook group that I saw where the question was, should I bring snacks for the IEP team? And you would not yeah. believe the comments on there, right? But I think <laughs> it's a positive thing. I think that when we're all human and when people feel appreciated and you know, I bring in extra food, and it's in the, the teachers' conference room. And somebody says, "Hey, where'd the food come from?" Oh, you know, no, that hey. was Bra- that was Braz's mom. Oh, nice family, nice family. And then when they when they wake up that morning, and they've got things to do, I want them to put my kid at the top of their list.
0: I know we spent a lot of money on Chipotle gift cards, you know, around yes. Christmas time and stuff yes. for the, the entire crew, exactly. even, kids, even the people who didn't work with our son. It's like, I, I don't exactly. want anybody left out. Everybody right. should be thinking we're cool.
1: <laughs> exactly. If people like to, if you feel appreciated in, in your job, you're going to do a better job. That's your sure. And then you the feel nature. like it's not so
0: personal. It's, you know, right. just advocating for their child.
1: That's exactly exactly right. So our son just graduated um, from his IEP this last June oh, and cool. we, we hosted um, a barbecue at our house for his entire team and some people from his past. And you know, it was really nice. Everybody showed up, everybody oh. showed up and well, they, they, they used to all the
0: free food, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but I think they just felt really appreciated. And um, in the 19 years we've been at this school district, I've, I think we filed one compliance complaint and had one IEE and never went to due mm. process. So oh, okay, must have worked.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and worked out. Yeah. But, Juliet, we're coming to the end of our time here. What's a good way for people to get a hold of you?
1: So they can contact us um, at dreadif.org. Um, on our website if we're not the parent training information center um, for you then we'll certainly help you find yours and we're here to help anybody that um, wants our support we're here for you so thank you very much
0: yeah julia thanks so much for your time and your inspiration today
1: thanks so much michael you have a great day
0: Thanks for listening to another edition of Special Education Matters. For more information, including show notes, head to our website, csnlg.com slash listen. And if you like what you hear, please uh, consider giving us a review on iTunes. Those reviews bring us lots of happiness. I'm your host, Michael Bull, and we will talk again soon.